Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Most people see the sale date as the day that you finally have reached the finish line. It's a date that you can just take a breath and celebrate and feel like you're set for life. I feel like John Waterman, to some degree, must have felt that when he sold his business, which was called Findology at the time. But then a weird thing happened. He came back in and he bought it. And I wonder what it feels like to come back. To me, it almost feels, John, and we're going to talk about it in this interview, it almost feels like graduating from college and then finding out that you missed a few credits and you've got to come back. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. Just when I was out, you know, uh, it, it pulled me back in. But there, there's, there's a story behind that. I mean, obviously, you know, every entrepreneur is going to make a decision. Is it, does it make sense financially? first and then you know is there a, a long-term vision and ultimately you know i got into the business the internet advertising business as i like to just call it in 98 and built up this business findology starting in around 2000 2001 sold it to this public out of australia in 2007 and you know what the timing of it was was obviously critical as well i sold in december 07 and for everybody for those who remember 2008 came and, you know, the debt crisis hit and, uh, you know, most companies were having, uh, you know, issues. Findology fortunately had grown, but then it suffered some of the, you know, complications around, uh, you know, the, the market. And uh, I was in a great opportunity because the public company um, as, as a whole wasn't doing well. And they owned 52 companies um, around the world, mainly in like kind of PR and, and agency type services. So the opportunity came to, to buy it back. And look, for me, my employees, the, my team is, you know, kind of I shared with you before we, we got online here, mm -hmm. family to me is the most important thing, right? You know, and, and my, my team is like the family. So, you know, the, the idea that, that the company could have went south um, in another person's hands and who knows what would have happened, you know, it made it more exciting for me to kind of keep the team together and, and keep building. All right. I want to find out about the initial launch from a person who didn't seem like he was on the track to do this, why you sold, what happened after the sale. I love the rebrand when you repurchased it. It's now called ad.net. It allows online advertisers to reach new audiences via their private network of quality publishers and distribution channels. And then John, I'd also like to understand how the hell are you going to succeed in a world that seems increasingly dominated by a few players in the advertising space? And we could do it all thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first is HostGator. If you're hosting a website, go with HostGator.com uh, slash Mixergy. And the second, if you're in the content business, and John, I know you and your clients are, you guys should consider signing up for Memberful. They will allow you to sell content to your audience. And John, like everyone else, you can go and sign up for free at Memberful.com slash Mixergy. First, I've got, an, I've got a page here on the internet from the sale, it says Photon Group Limited purchased your business for an initial cash payment of 19.25 million Australian dollars in the issue of 516,590 Photon shares plus deferred payment tied to performance targets. Does that sound right? That That is about right. There was additional cash uh, that we had in the account that was you know, that was passed over to us. But yeah, it was, it was a great exit, um, not only for me, but for, you know, all my employees, um, you know, I own 100% of the stock and but I gave away 15% of the wow. proceeds of the sale um, to all the people that were there with me at the time. But we're going to go through some of the difficulties in the business, but let's just take a moment to appreciate the good thing. So you sold the business, did you get to do anything good for yourself? Anything fun? Take some time off Buy that beautiful house? 
You know, I, I wish I'd give you good stories, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, is like other entrepreneurs, this is not, it's not necessarily about the money. Um, it really, and I think, I think and I, I would say to every entrepreneur out there, if it truly is about the money, you might be in the wrong business. But did you get um, to do anything like maybe take that vacation that you couldn't have done when you were, uh, when you were working it, I'm looking at you, dude, I know how, how successful the business is. You're wearing a t-shirt, like the same old white t-shirt that I would imagine you, you went to school in. Uh, that's right. Right. That's Was right. there any, did you get to do anything fun with all that, that, that success? Uh, look, I, I enjoy everything that I do. And okay. I know you're looking for that. I went on this crazy Vegas yes, trip yes, and it was, yes. you know, the money and, shot that and, will and rope people I, into listening. Bottles no. and, and all that. And, and look, I've, I've always, I've always, you know, had fun and, and done that. But when it came down to the sale of the business, um, besides the few moments with, you know, intimate moments with family and appreciating, you know, the, the, the success, you know, as you mentioned in, in you know, the, the beginning of uh, us chatting, I had earnouts that were built into the deal, right? Mm. So I was, you know, soon as the deal closed, really, the head was back down and we had, you know, goals to reach and there was, there was uh, other things to accomplish. So, I mean, it, it's a bit of a sickness, I, I would admit, but, but uh, um, I, I didn't really do anything overly extravagant, no. All right. You mentioned you've been in the space since 98. 98, you were a sophomore at UC Santa Barbara. You were uh, there when the dot-com bubble was just getting going. Riches were minted. Companies were being disrupted. And then a friend of yours, Danny Yamtobian, wanted you to do something or introduced you to what? I, I discovered domain name, uh, domain names. And, you know, before search engines were popular, believe it or not, and, and even to this day, people still do it, typing in coolcars.com, right? Or, you know, just different keywords, um, you know, with a level of intent to go to a particular website. But obviously, 98, not a lot of those websites existed. So, I was acquiring these domain names and redirecting that traffic to all different places, uh, you know, around the web. Um, you know, that kind of got me into, you know, traffic brokering, I guess, in a sense, where I was able to, you know, redirect users to particular places that they might be interested in, you know, buying or acquiring different services or products. Like what? Give me an example of a domain that you had and a typical deal. Oh, wow. I, I, I... I, so it wasn't one that you remember. Okay. You know, we had a, we had a domain name. I remember it was, it was far Ari, far Ari, ah. but for some, you know, people, we would, it sounds we were, like Ferrari. Sounds like Ferrari. You okay. know? So, uh, you know, people, people would love to go to a car site or something along those lines. Um, you know, back in 98, I would say there wasn't many places to send traffic, to be honest, our largest, uh, advertiser at the time were all the online casinos uh, that existed okay. in 98, right? If people go back to 98, there wasn't a lot, there wasn't really e-commerce going on. It wasn't even close to what it was today. Yeah. Um, you know, before, before 2000, people were very hesitant of putting their credit card, 
you know, on, on their computer and, and, and sending it out. Was this through affiliate programs or yep. were you, you were, so this was just straight up affiliate programs. You find them on the internet, you buy domains from like internet or whatever. I forget mm-hmm. who it was, who was selling it at the time, right. For like $9 a month, a year, excuse me. Right. That's the model. Yeah. That's exactly what the model was. Drive that traffic um, to, you know, to as many different affiliate programs as we could, but then, you know, fast forward to 2000, a company um, out of Ideal Lab, which was an incubator, emerged called GoTo.com. Mm-hmm. GoTo.com was the original name of Overture, uh, which went public and was eventually bought by Yahoo. They were the first true sponsor listings search company. Um, and we eventually put a deal together with them in 2000, um, created a site called findology.com. And all of the domain name traffic now would just redirect to Findology. So people could actually truly find um, what they were looking for through all the different listings that we were able to pull in through Overture. And that, right. So now if somebody went to farari.com and Overture had pay-per-click ads for the Yahoo search uh I guess directory, they weren't even a search engine, but the Yahoo search directory, just like uh, Google AdWords, then you could take those ads, put them on your page. Boom. The thing I see that whole thing makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Before all this, this was really, this was pre Google, right? I mean, people were trying to discover the internet by typing in domains and we were now able to send them to Findology, which was a search engine. And you would do a search for what it is you were looking for. And we would hopefully have a, a listing for you that would take you to where you wanted to go. And fortunately for us, they were sponsor listings that got us paid that allowed us to pay for the traffic we were acquiring. I uh, I, I see it on the Internet Archive here. It's uh, it, it looks like the old. Oh, oh, man, it looks like the old Overture site. It looks a little bit like uh, like the Excite.com and Lycos yep. of the day, right? Totally. I mean, there were all those search engines that were that were out there, the Lycos, the, you know, the Excite, all those. And essentially you had that. And before all this, though, you didn't, from what I understand, even have a computer, didn't get on email. Yeah, I when I got into the business, I signed up to an AOL account, um, my first email address and uh, didn't have a computer, bought a computer and uh, typed with two fingers. So uh, why, why not? What type of person were you in school? What was your direction? You know, I, I was always entrepreneurial growing up. So I always had something going on. When I was a kid, I did garage sales. Yep. I, I sold basketballs, little basketballs around the neighborhood. I did car washes. Um, so I was always very entrepreneurial. My father had this vending machine uh, business that he had started. I bought you know, eight machines from him with a route in high school that I would go to. And, you know, look, I was, it was like, temp, it wasn't like sodas and, and food. Mm-hmm. It was like temporary tattoos and l- baseball cards, basketball cards, stickers. And uh, I had eight locations and, you know, it's for, in high school, I was making like $2,500 a month working wow. maybe six to 10 hours a month. So, um, were you the one had- who opened up the locations? No, I, I had purchased them from my from father and I, and I actually, you know, I, I just was servicing them. But, uh, you know, I sold that when I went to college um, in Santa Barbara. But I, again, I always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, and the Internet was kind of a geeky thing where you can go and maybe talk to scientists and professors and maybe the kid who's sitting right next to you in computer lab. But there wasn't an entrepreneurial angle on it. And as soon as you found it, then it 
drew you in. You built up the business. When you were just in, in college, do you have a sense of how much revenue you were able to produce with this? Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, by, by the end of my senior year, um, you know, um, I'm, you know, fortunate and and, and to say that I was doing over a hundred thousand dollars in profit a month. So hundred thousand profit. Yeah. And then doing what with it, considering that there's tax implications and everything else where you just, I was just reinvesting into the business. Right. I mean, so I never had a business plan. I never raised money. It was always kind of uh, inherent. And, you know, I just, Hey, I knew I, I was making money. So let's keep spending. And, and, uh, you know, I never did it. Um, the traditional route of, you know, raising VC money or, Mm -hmm. you know, putting a business plan together. And I think, you know, probably to my benefit, being ignorant to the opportunities in the VC world um, actually probably played to my benefit because I stayed very lean, very mean, bootstrapped. And, you know, when the dot-com bubble burst, I, I wasn't affected. What did your, did your sales go down at all? Did anything impact your business? No, because, you know, most of the, the experiences that I had and, and the people that I've seen that I saw, and I think, you know, it's interesting can kind of maybe experiencing a little bit now display and video, um, you know, display advertising was really the big thing there. It was ridiculous CPMs, like hundred dollar CPMs. We weren't selling display. There was, there was no, everything that we did, was intent based, right? So there was a user that had intention to go and look for something or, you know, potentially buy something and we would direct that user there. Um, we were, we were always in that intent driven market that search really brings. The search market wasn't affected as much as the dot com boom. So you're, yeah, you're saying that the web vans of the world, which were way ahead of their time, built too much infrastructure, they suffered. The pets.com, again, ahead of their time, they suffered. Excite display advertising suffered. Did your business take a hit at all? N- no. no. Wow. I, okay. We, we, we did, you know, we were growing slowly enough to where we didn't get the impact. Our speed was faster than the markets depreciate, you know, uh, uh, deflation, I guess. Okay, I I understand that. We're still talking about days when you can buy clicks at pennies a pop. Um, All right, so then 2002 though, you told our producer, um, that's when your business hit some kind of turbulence. What happened 2002? Um, 2002, I don't think we hit turbulence. Maybe the producer got that wrong. In fact, I think we actually, you know, things were, were scaling relatively nicely. Um, you know, 2002, I mean, just in terms of the, the dot-com. No, I mean, I mean, for you internally with the team, apparently there was an issue with your partner that helped you find a low point in the business, right? So I see you're saying to me, Andrew, know, sales did not take a hit. The no, sales didn't necessarily take that big of a hit, but but, but I, I was able to buy uh, my partner out at the time. Um, he went on to go and do different things. You know, yes, there was a little bit of a low point, um, but it, it wasn't it wasn't really uh, it, it wasn't at a point where we were like, oh my god, we're going out of business. But it was okay. definitely a restructuring. I bought my partner out. I hired a couple new people to help really build something. And, and I guess that was around 2002 yeah. um, where everything kind of started to take off. It was, uh, 2002 is takeoff. So you now you're, you're 100% owner of the business. The right. team changes. You let go of some people. You bring in new people. 
at exactly. that point, I, I guess, was Google now starting to become an issue? Was Google starting to become a presence for you at that point beyond advertising? No, it wasn't really becoming a, a presence that would get it interfere with us. In fact, more companies in 2002 started to emerge right in the pay-per-click search space. Companies like Find What that eventually went public, changed their name to Miva. They were bought out by ad knowledge. Um, there were companies like Canoodle and Aha and all these other, you know, smaller pay-per-click search companies that emerged. And we eventually created some technology that allowed us to, what we called at the time, meta search all those feeds together. So we ultimately were pulling the, the sponsor listing feeds of all these other companies and then distributing, right, syndicating the Findology feed made up of all those different pay-per-click search companies. Oh, people were then paying you to put your listing of search results, which were ad-based, uh, ad on their sites? No, no, we were, we were paying them. So we were pulling in the advertising listings Got it. from all these other pay-per-click search companies. Okay. They were paying us. And the way we, in the way in which we got traffic was now not only through findology.com and the domain name traffic mm -hmm. that was coming, but we were also now working with publishers or webmasters, as we called them back then, to drive traffic to our Findology site. So we had the little search box that people would put on their website. Um, we had text links that people could put on their website that were relevant to their content. And every time a click occurred, we paid people 15 cents. And we were ultimately one of the first pay-per-click search arbitragers, I guess. We were buying traffic, sending it to Findology that ultimately would go to all the other pay-per-click search companies that were there. We never had relationships with the direct advertiser. We worked with these pay-per-click search companies that were more like agencies. And this was part of the internet that for a long time, nobody knew about. You weren't getting celebrated. Fast Company right. didn't have you on, on the cover, anything like that. Did you on a personal level, I'm trying to get a sense of who you are. Did you on a personal level feel like, why are they, why are they ignoring us? Or I'm so glad they're ignoring us. Wow. Interesting. It's definitely not, you know, I wasn't glad I was being ignored, but I didn't care. I, I really never was one to try to go out there and, you know, get popularity out of my, you know, entrepreneurial, you know, business and spirit. And it was never, it was never, it was not never who I was. Still not really who I am. All right. When you were syndicating your ads on other sites, can you give me an example of who was, or let's talk about specifics. Who was the top person? Ooh. Wow, you're making me go back. Yeah, I, I can't even recall. I think really ended up, what what ended up being the some some of the largest um, uh, suppliers of ours were the same companies that we were sending traffic to. You know, it was it was very incestuous. You know, and it still is in some in some ways, right? Where we were providing our feed to a company that was giving us their feed, they had similar distribution they had mm. distribution themselves we added to their depth of coverage so like the ahas and the the mm -hmm. the the canoodles and uh, all the other companies that existed we were we were sending traffic to them and they were even sending traffic to us but i would say the largest supply partners then were still the domain 
portfolio owners. Mm. We had a great, you know, relationship with all the domain name portfolio owners. So anybody typing in, you know, different domains that existed would, we would get access to that traffic. All right. Let me take a moment to talk about my first sponsor. Tell me what you think of this as a salesperson and entrepreneur yourself. Yeah. Here's, here's what memberful does. You know, everyone now is focused on creating content and they're hoping that they could sell advertising. What Memberful says is, you know what? What if you could just sell some of that content to your audience? And Memberful enables that. So if you want to do email newsletters, have some of your email newsletters be paid and Memberful will enable that. If you're a podcaster like me, you want some of your episodes to be paid, let your fans buy a subscription that gives you access to that. If you have a site, a community, whatever it is, Memberful makes it easy for people to do. It's a simple plugin that allows you to take over uh, or simple software that allows you to take that relationship directly and not farm it out to so many of these new businesses that do it. What do you think of that proposition, John? Look, any way in which you can create content and monetize that, right? And, you know, not necessarily, I don't know if they take exclusivity or, or whatnot, but any way that you can monetize your content is, uh, is always a benefit. I mean, look, publishers, content creators, um, the, the goal is to generate revenue for that. And if, if uh, there's a good way to do that, you know, I test it all. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in testing everything. So why not test it? If you were a content creator today, how would you test selling, um, selling some content? Well, I mean, look, there, there's, there, you know, like, uh, like your sponsor, there's companies that help to get your content out there and, and will help you monetize it. Um, you know, you could license, you could create your own website. If you're creating enough content, you know, you should look to have, you know, create an SEO strategy, you know, get that content out there, get organic traffic coming to your, your content. And ultimately you'll be able to monetize it through a number of, of means, whether I'll tell you, here, here's how I would think about it. You tell me about this. Yeah. You tell me what you think, John, with your ex- expert opinion. If someone out there creating content, I would say the first way to, to sell content is to not overthink it, but to sell more of what you're doing now to your audience. Not because that's the end. That's because what because what you're trying to do is get a sense of who wants to support me and pay no matter what and talk to them and find out why they did it and then what else they need. Because now you're starting to see some people raise their hand and say, I want to pay you because I like you. I don't necessarily love this first product. Maybe you've been a blogger and now every fifth blog post is members only. I'm paying for that because I want to have a tighter relationship with you. Here's what I would like from that tighter relationship. What do you think of that as a start? The first thing that comes to mind to me are paywalls. Right. And, and, I, and again, I don't have so much experience in this, but there's a, plenty of publishers out there right now that are saying, look, we're kind of past the we're past the model of advertising. We want to have a hybrid of yep. our users paying for the content, but then also getting some content for free. And I think, you know, that is ultimately the way things will start to go. Nobody really loves the display and the video ads. And now with Google kind of, you know, getting rid of cookies and the ability for advertisers to target is becoming a lot more difficult. Those video and display ads will become less meaningful. Um, and I would even say on a smaller level, for, for most independent creators, they're not going to hit that 
audience size that right. will allow them to make money from advertising, but they will have a smaller audience that's passionate enough that they will pay to support, pay for more, pay for feedback, pay for connection with the creator. All right, listen to me, people. If you're out there and you want to start selling some of your content, you already have an audience, you already have content, maybe it's small, maybe you don't think it's it's big enough for advertising, maybe you don't even think it's big enough to sell to your audience, Memberful will tell you, oh, contraire, mon frere, I don't even know what mon frere means, but oh, contraire, they will make it easy for you to start selling right now and you own your relationship with your audience. If you don't like Memberful, you could always move on. But if you do, you'll have an amazing tool that's now owned by Patreon, a company that you can count on. Go to memberful.com slash Mixergy. Just try, do what John says, just try it. All right, John, coming back to you now, you're, um, you're building this business. And then at some point you say, I'm going to sell. Why did you sell? You, you know, it's interesting. I, I, you know, the business was growing slowly and steadily from 2002 through 2007. I actually went to go talk to some investment banks um, in 2000 and early 2006. Um, and they actually got back to me and said, John, I think you're a little too small. I think I had 12 employees at the time. You know, I was a, a big part of the business. And they said, John, you're a little small right now. I think the business revolves around you too much. Um, I think you should just keep trying to build it and, uh, you know, and I think you'll have a better chance in the future. Um, the reason I, I, I decided to kind of go out there is because I was just really trying to learn. I, I, all I knew was how to make money, you know, generating cash flow, bootstrap business, um, real, true entrepreneur, you know, minded. And, you know, it was a great lesson. Um, hey, you know, I, I was making a, a couple million dollars a year and, you know, business was growing, but too small maybe to, to get anybody's attention. So I, I doubled down and we hired more people. We expanded um, our distribution, our, our revenue grew, our profits grew. Um, and then I went back to, to market um, in, you know, kind of the middle of 2007 and was able to and ended up getting a deal um, closed in December of 2007 with uh, that public company out of Australia. There's a lot that I admire about you. Let me ask you, so this is not coming from a negative place, but I feel like one of the, the things that you didn't do in that period, having gone through the articles, having gone through the site is you didn't create a brand and the beginning you were trying, you said, we could be a search engine. You could, you could see that there's like this directory, there's this flair. And later on towards the, the year of the sale, which was what, 2007, it was more like we're going to put this landing page on the site so that if anyone wonders what we do, they have a sense that we're the search engine. But in reality, we want you to go to the bottom and click on advertisers, partners, let's get on a call and see if we're big enough to do business together, right? Mm -hmm. C completely correct. We, you know, we realized by that point, Google and Yahoo were the search engines, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, uh, AOL and, you know, there, there, it, it was going to be very difficult to break into that space, especially, you know, with the uncapitalized business. So, correct. We focused in on advertising. We focused in on creating profits um, and, you know, and, and driving and driving traffic to the advertisers that we are fortunate enough to work with through our partners. So hundred percent correct. I mean, it was an attempt to kind of give people some understanding and comfort, um, the advertisers, the clients, some understanding and comfort where that traffic was, you know, was, was coming from 
ultimately, though, we were driving traffic to Findology to generate, you know, good sales for the advertisers. But even like the way that Taboola will advertise themselves on on sites, it's not it's not helping the ads conversion rate. It's helping their brand name. I don't think that you were doing that back then. Am I right? Yeah, we, we uh, you know, I guess we, we really weren't. Um, uh, it, it wasn't, we didn't have the, we didn't have a publisher facing JavaScript product like mm-hmm. uh, Taboola has where, you know, we're working directly with the publishers. We were truly at that point, more of a middleman, um, more of a broker. Um, acquiring traffic, paying for that, um, and and sending to the advertiser, and kind of being that middleman uh, person. In fact, mo- in a lot of cases, most people never even came to Findology.com. It was through XML, right, API type technology, where yeah. our partners would query us and said, "Hey, do you have an advertiser for you know car insurance?" And we would be able to you know hit our back end and then respond to the publisher with, "Okay, here's." an ad for car insurance and this is what we'll pay you if you want to display it go ahead if you don't that's fine i think even like search engine land was getting big some of the companies that you talked about i was searching for them as we were talking uh like canoodle there were articles about them search engine land from what i could see of that period had two articles that happened to mention findology it was just a different mindset it clearly worked you sold the business i told you before we got started um that I found this random thing that I got to ask you about after the sale, I see in the Royal Gazette, which I never heard of before. There was this, there was this, this notice that said that uh, notice is hereby given pursuant to section seven of the corporation registration act that the following companies have made default in payment of the annual registration fee due March 31st, 2008. And, and Findology was one of these companies. It's like, it feels almost like at some point someone was neglecting the company to the point that they weren't even paying a basic due, a basic fee. The Gazette, I believe that's a, a paper in Montreal, Canada. Um, I have no idea what, uh, what that is. What, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, am I reading too much into it? Or was the company that acquired you so focused, Photon Group Limited, mm. were they so focused on what was going on in the environment that they neglected little things like this, which it's just, it's a basic mistake, but it, is it indicate, indicative of bigger things or not? No, no, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I okay. never heard of that, that default in 2008. I have no idea what it is, but okay. I can tell you that the company, you know, Findology, we were, you know, I was still involved. I didn't, I, I, when we sold, I sold 100% of the stock to the public company. But like I said, we had these earnouts that were built in. So actually, the public company incentivized us to grow at a rate that I would say probably wasn't sustainable. Okay. And, and that's ultimately what happened is that we opened up an, you know, we opened up new, a, a local search division. We opened up, um, you know, different different divisions of the company um, to try to create growth, which we did successfully for the first 18 months. But, you know, as every entrepreneur should know, be careful about your foundation, right? Don't build too much on top of a foundation that isn't strong enough. And ultimately, the public company not only incentivized that type of growth, but insisted on it. Mm. And ultimately, that's what, you know, uh, caused the company to really, you know, be in a position where it was 
not cash flow positive for a small period of time. Um, they were looking to sell the business. I found out about it and said to them, look, if you're going to sell the business, you may as well sell it to me. And that's ultimately over the course of a year, kind of what happened. How, uh, how is the price compared to what they paid you? Uh, it, it was a small, small fraction of, uh, okay. of what, what I got paid. Yeah. And it was you again, paying directly out of pocket, no yep. investors, no investors. Yeah. You believe in this strongly. This is one of the things that you think that on un- that entrepreneurs are missing today. This thinking about, we should just be bootstrapped. Am I right? You know, there's plenty of companies that have done it. Plenty of entrepreneurs that done it the other way around, done it successfully. Look, there's plenty of VC money out there right now. Um, I was fortunate. I got into a place early, early on where I could invest. I think I had 10 grand. Um, and I think I went in 10 grand, uh, you know, uh, on my credit card and I was able to create profits enough to be able to grow slowly, but surely these days, things are a lot more, you know, mature where you do need a little bit more capital to, to start. Um, but, and so if you don't have it, I understand the idea of raising money, but I'm a big believer in bootstrapped, you know, entrepreneurship, um, where you, you know, you, you focus in first on creating revenue and profits, um, before, you know, significant growth. You know, one of the challenges that I have here doing these interviews and being an entrepreneur in the world today is that entrepreneurs like you, your stories aren't out until much later because you don't have an incentive to say, look at how much money we're making versus new entrepreneurs who have a big incentive to say, look at how much money we've raised, right? Because it helps them hire. It helps them build from nothing. And it's a real challenge. I uh, Before the pandemic, I got to meet some people over dinner at poker, et cetera, here in San Francisco. They would come into town and, and I would see some of what's there they would not do interviews. They would talk privately. And I feel like even when they talk privately, it was a very cagey conversation. And so we're definitely missing this kind of energy. And I love it. I feel more invigorated hearing your story about um, the the vending machines that you had than I do seeing what's going on on TechMeme and TechCrunch today. Oh, man, I appreciate that. Right? I mean, it, 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 it definitely is true that there's so much hype around I raised this much or, you know, we got a second round and, and good for them. Right. But ultimately, yeah. as an entrepreneur, you know, you want to hold on to control as much as you can because you're the one with the vision. And while you can find people to be able to back you and whatnot, it's only it's it's only going to be good when it's good. If it starts to get rocky you know, don't fool yourself. You're, you're not in control anymore. Um, and ultimately, you know, you need that level of control if you truly believe in yourself and believe in the vision um, and believe in, in the storyline. When you bought the company back, what was the vision that you had? What did you see in the world? Full transparency and full honesty. It wasn't about vision at that point. It was truly about keeping my staff and team together, making sure no one lost their jobs. Um, I was, you know, I was financially independent enough to be able to, to do it. And, and I would say I was, I was kind of burnt out at the time. Um, you know, I've been doing this now for 12 years. Um, and I, you know, like, just, like I said, just when I was out, it pulled me back in. So while I was, you know, really happy that I kept the team together and that everybody was still making money, you know, it took a little while to kind of 
get my mind back into the game. And I think while for, for the next three years or so, we did do the rebrand, right? I, I recognized early on, we needed to kind of rebrand ourselves, give us a refresh and add.net emerged in 2012. We launched a video division, a display division. We launched an email division. So we tried a lot more, more things and we were successful at those things from a, you know, revenue and profitability standpoint, but not from a scalability standpoint, um, you know, enough to gain enough market share in those areas to where it was, you know, really viable. But it was around 2015, 2015, 2016, where I really kind of, you know, got a fire up my ass again, you know, was able to kind of clear my head over those few years and focus in. And I said, let's double down on what we know and what we do best, which is search. And really what that meant at the time was intent based traffic, right? Let's capture users that are showing intent to go to a certain destination or buy a particular product or service, and let's double down there. And that's when we started to work with the larger agencies, started to kind of penetrate a little bit more with the agencies, with the big brands, starting to leverage our technology to create optimization capabilities so we can really determine what was that bit what was that user worth right was it worth five cents or was it worth 30 cents and as things kind of started to evolve and as i started to get really more focused that's where the business started to head and it was at that point that we kind of uh you know didn't look back i'm looking at the site from back then and the and the sales material from back then it seems like the shift had, had happened around 2015 towards emphasizing Bing and Yahoo and Google. And it, was, it wasn't it was now the smaller sites and the, uh, the smaller search engines and the uh, domains. It was more like, you're an enterprise client. You want to buy ads with these big search engines. We are here to make sure that you don't waste your money and that you do it well, right? Not completely correct because we weren't buying traffic for... Um, these clients of ours on Google or Bing or Yahoo. In fact, we still don't. We, we, we actually work with other agencies that do that for their clients. What we said is, look, there is more to search than meets the eye. There's more opportunities to buy good quality traffic than just Google and Yahoo and Bing, and now really just, you know, Google and Bing, you know, we market ourselves now as an extension outside the major networks, right? And that's resonating really, really well these days. Where else is search? I I, I think I'm picking up on one moment in time where the site and the literature emphasize those search engines. And maybe it was, here's the search engine you're coming for. And we'll also tell you when you come in about these other opportunities you don't know about. So maybe that's why I'm I'm missing uh, a large chunk by looking at this In 2016, we launched a technology called Search IQ. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, it started as a WordPress plugin um, where you know, where publishers could, you know, put in their own search technology that was way better than what was available to, you know, to the masses. And it indexed their sites a lot better for their, you know, great Mm -hmm. content that they created over time. And it gave us the ability to insert advertising within those publishers' websites. Uh, And then was Search IQ giving money to the publishers too? 
No, Search IQ actually started as a SaaS product okay. um, where they were paying us. There was a freemium version and then enterprise and whatnot. Got it. You know, the freemium versions allowed us to place ads. Some some clients actually were happy with us, you know, placing ads. Um, you know, we, we started putting deals together with larger publisher sites. Um, what's, a, what's a big publisher that you won over early on? I mean, you know, earlier on, um, there's a site called dogtime.com um totalbeauty.com it's a uh, one of evolve media it's a couple of evolve media's sites they're a publishing house here in los angeles um a good friend of mine runs that that business uh, aaron broder so you know that's an area in which you know we started getting more visibility um you know you could go to some uh you can go to more.com right now um and see the search iq technology uh-huh. live by the way, we should watch when you're tapping on the table um, because it comes up on the mic. I, I see. So you are saying, look, we are going to expand search. Google may have internet wide search, but there are these other places where people are searching where there's intent and where there's an ad opportunity based on intent. And that's what you were, that's what you were going to capitalize on and expand. Correct. And, and, and not only just search, right? It, Google has plenty of uh, advertising that's not just off the search bar, right? They have Google AdSense where you where they're looking at the context of the page and there's listings within the ad unit. We're able to provide publishers with the capability where if they're creating content to drive um, their user to buy a particular dog collar, right? We work with Chewy as an advertiser. Well, that 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 content uh, creator could send that user to Amazon, right? The dog collar on Amazon, it could send it to Petco, but we can give them the opportunity to send it to Chewy and ultimately pay them more for that click. More than they would get from doing an ad, a Google, uh, I don't know what they're calling it now, but it was called uh, ads, AdSense, more than that? No, because AdSense was more of a display ad unit, not in the content. So, so what, what was the in the content stuff that you do? Links within the? Correct. Link, hyperlinks within the content. Exactly. Ah, so if somebody mentioned a dog collar, you would hyperlink in? Oh, I didn't realize you were doing that. Right. So it's keyword based, right? Okay. What is search? It's, it's all based on keyword intent. And that's what the ad.net network is all about. It's capturing intent and, and focusing on performance. Um, those are okay. the two big things that we kind of rest our, our head on. How did you get your head back in the game? You said that, look, you were burned out. I understand you were doing this since you were school. And even before, before you officially started Findology, you were an entrepreneur all the time. How'd you get yourself back? I mean, wow, it's, it, that's definitely going into, you know, personal deep things that I'm happy to share. I mean, to be, to be honest, I want to go personal. I, you yeah. know, it, it, as everybody, you know, you go through ups and downs in life. And, and I was just at a, at a kind of a low point for for no real, you know, crazy reason. I did experience, you know, some uh, a business partner, you know, uh, stealing from me. Um, that was kind of a, an ego blow. I did have a good friend that worked with me for a long time, kind of, you know, stabbed me in the back. Um, there were all these like things that were happening around the same time. And it was there was a moment where I said, you know what? maybe I'm taking, I should take some responsibility for this. Um, and I got to refocus my energy and, you know, and, and put out 
better energy out there to kind of get get it back. And and ultimately, that's really kind of the turning point. I took I took you know bad stuff that was going on in my life and and I turned it around and you know just focused on the positive. Anything helped you get through it? Coaching, books, religion. Um, uh, you know what? Good friends, um, good, good, um, good advice, uh, learned experiences from other people. Um, and, and I did for like five weeks, take this very interesting spiritual psychology class, um, out of San, out of this, like, you know, private university that a couple people had referred me to people who actually are very, very successful. So I gave it a shot and I got some great value out of that as well. What was it? It was literally called spiritual psychology um, out of the University of Santa Monica. I see it right here. I just did a search. It's doctors Ron and Mary Holnick of spiritual psychology. Yeah, that's them. That's them. That's what was them. it about them? I'm uh, I'm looking them up. I, I can't get enough uh, info fast enough. What was it that that they uh, helped you understand? Well, well, again, I think it was just taking a look at things differently. Right when bad things happen to you there's a responsibility that you should have. I mean, look, I, I know it sounds terrible, but like if, if you, you know, if, if you lose a big client, right, you know, you could take the woe is me attitude or, you know, maybe I did something, you know, that, that caused that to happen. Let's, let's kind of, let's, you know, look a little bit deeper. You know, they, uh, there's interesting, you know, concept of your, your, um, your lifeline and your goal line. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily always intersect. Um, you know, the higher you go up on your, your, you know, your lifeline, how you feel about yourself, how you feel about others, the further you can get, a, a, you know, get on your goals. All right. Not to go too like heavy here, but let's, let's talk about one other thing that's related. 2015, the company had a cash crunch and you were investing in real estate. So two things hit at once. What's the cash crunch? What happened with real estate? And I promise we'll get the happy stuff, but I want to talk no, about no, this no. too. It's totally fine. Look, if anyone can, you know, the, the thing that I love is that people can learn off of other people's experiences. And that really is, you know, the, the best way to learn is, is, you know, listening to other people. But um, yeah, the, the company was in 2015 starting to grow, right? I, I made that decision. We started to grow. Um, and, you know, as most people out there know, you know, you're not getting the best terms all the time. You know, some of our advertisers pay us net 90, net 120, and we're out there paying our supply partners, our publishers, net 30. So that, that you know, was the cause of the cash crunch, which is a positive. But because I was invested personally in these real estate ventures where I had experienced the partner committing fraud, um, I was, you know, I had a, a bit of a, a, a situation. Ah, oh, wow. And so were you able to recover the money that, that went? Uh, so on, on the fraud part, yeah. you know, some, yes, not, not quick enough to really help the cash crunch. Wow. We were literally me and my CFO, we were two days away from signing a, um, a loan agreement from a, a factor that we never had to use before um, that, you know, would have helped us, but would have cost us a good amount of money because these things aren't cheap. Um, but I was able to maneuver things in the background enough to get us through. And then we ended up landing a big advertiser that was paying us uh, net 30 instead of net 90. And so as 
as all everything kind of, you know, fell into place at the right time. Man, I would have thought that by this point in your career, that these problems just wouldn't exist anymore, that it would be more like, how do we expand? How do we double? Not how do we, you know, get the factor to work with us. Factor sometimes I think about as the payday loan of, of businesses, right? They yeah. charge high interest. They're obviously not nearly the same, the same thing, but it's right. high interest rate when you need money fast. And wow, we... All right. Things did clear up. Now I'm looking at, um, we started this conversation with um, like a, a press release or something that I'd written, that I'd seen about you. Let's end it with another one. June 8th, I see a business wire uh, post here about how adnet ad.net partners with Clarion Capital Partners to scale its marketplace through strategic acquisitions and continued organic growth. What's this deal? What are you guys going to be doing? Yeah, I'll give you a quick backstory. Um, you know, in you know, as the company was growing, we were doing very, very well. We were making you know really good money. Again, no investors, no debt, and um, I started to look to make acquisitions. Um, and I went out there myself um, to go make some acquisitions, and I found myself in a situation where there was two acquisitions that I attempted to make. Um, found out that I was the best offer from a cash perspective up front and then structured on the back end, but I didn't end up getting the deal. And what I learned quickly is when you're in that, in that world of finance and you're dealing with VC, VC backed companies or private equity type companies, there's a, a cronyism that exists. And I didn't come to, I didn't come to the table with an investment bank I, I, I had no debt, so I had no bank that could speak on my behalf, right? So the credibility component wasn't there. They didn't know who's this guy, John Waterman, is he going to be able to close on, a, on an $8 million deal or on a $12 million deal? Even though I was able to show bank statements, I didn't end up getting that deal closed. And while business continued to succeed and we continued to grow, I made the decision that it was time to partner with um, you know, a major player in the financial community that could help with these types of acquisitions um, and maybe help us scale even greater organically through their experience in, you know, scaling businesses. All right. So then where do you see the future of ad.net? Oh, man. I, I, you know, for, for us, you know, sky's the limit. I mean, I'm really excited about, you know, the next two to three years, uh, the products that we'll be putting out, the relationships that we'll be developing. Meaning more, more ad units yeah. that you we're, invent or that you're now getting into that already exist? We're, no, we're going to, we're going to be looking to create some new publisher facing ad units. Um, supply has been, you know, um, I, I would say, the 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 difficulty these days we have great demand partners great you know advertisers and agencies that are working with us they want to give us more budgets we want to be able to go out there to the publishing community to the content community and say hey look add our you know technology into your stack and we'll be able to pay you more for you know the traffic that you're getting right now what i'm i'm not nearly as deep into the space as you are what what opportunities what what is out there for companies who are competing in a world that's dominated by Google, Facebook, and Amazon? What are you seeing that when I read news reports saying that they've captured the whole market, I'm missing? 
Well, I mean, look, they've captured the, the grand majority of the market. But when I go to when when not necessarily me, but when my head of sales and, and our sales team goes to an agency or a brand and says, look, give us a piece of this budget, we can help diversify your ad spend, which right now is probably one of the key components is diversification, right? Advertisers don't want to give all their money to one or two companies. They like the idea of diversifying their ad spend. As long as they're getting similar, you know, return on ad spend, right? As long as they're getting the similar KPIs, diversification becomes crucial. What? And then where, where are the units of diversification? What's, what's hot that's available outside of those three giants? Ad.net. Uh, where um, and then by you placing ads on search results of other websites, for example, right? That's right. one ad unit. What else? Yeah. What other ad units are hot? We're still one of the largest acquirers of domain name traffic in the United States. Okay. Um, so you know, uh, I, I, I uh, stuck to where I kind of came from. I mean, when you think about it, there's still you know domains out there. People typing in uh, you know typing in domains that may not exist as a site, but we could redirect that user to a particular you know, search mm-hmm. result page or ad unit, Google and Yahoo are probably the largest buyers of domain name traffic still. Um, but we, you know, we compete on a, a number of, uh, a number of levels. What's, what's one of those domains that you currently have? Oh man. I know a lot of them are private. I imagine a lot of them are private. You know, I, I'm just, I keep okay. on going to marijuana store.com because it's something we do. Is that one? It's the one that we, it's one that we just sold recently. Uh, okay. Um, but, but, um, I, I honestly, on a, on a okay. granular level, I'm, I'm really not good at all the specific. Okay. Uh, but this gives me a sense of it. And then what's another, one other ad unit like that, that's still hot that we may not be aware of. Um, you know, we work with a lot of um, funnel pages, right? So there's a lot of uh, companies that are, you know, you, you, you sign up for, um, you know, home insurance. Um, you're looking for your home insurance and people are taking through a funnel of home insurance. Well, Anyone who needs home insurance may be interested in getting a new mortgage or a refi. And so we're able to take that level of contextual intent into what would be, you know, new intent for, for a consumer. All right. I love hearing this type of stuff. Do you know what, John? I actually forgot to even talk about my second sponsor here. So we're obviously not going to charge them, but that's how much I enjoyed this freaking conversation. Oh, John, man, thank you. I'm so glad that you're finally out there talking more. I'm telling you, over the years, I've seen very little about you. Few quotes. I'm glad that you're doing this interview. I hope you're going to be out there talking more. Thanks, man. I appreciate the time and, and, and you know, hi to all your audience. All right. Thanks. The website, of course, it's ad.net. And I want to thank the now one sponsor. I apologize, HostGator. We'll do a make good. But I want to thank Memberful for making this interview happen. If you need to charge, if you want to start adding that to your business, go to memberful.com slash Mixergy. John, it's been great. Take care.